Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude, located somewhere in lower western fire-laden California. My name's Greg. Hi, I'm Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. My name's Greg. <laughs> Welcome to the Proofcast. Uh, once again, we join hands and join hearts and try to find some solace in each other's company, holding hands as the sun sets in the bright orange, vibrant sky. As we leave the Paris Accords and we bid adieu to this fabulous European country, we can watch the sand burning as the bateau mushes sink into the sunlight. Mary J. Blige, work that from Growing Pains. Uh, this one says on it, iTunes exclusive. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> don't, don't ask. I'm never exclusive to iTunes. If you want to join us, by the way, uh, and thank you for joining us, you can write us at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. I read all of your emails. I've tried to respond to most of them. I really do. Um, it's a, Gosh, the effort I make. It's extraordinary. I make a white, <laughs> middle-aged guy effort toward doing stuff. I try to do stuff. Isn't that amazing? Do not try. Do. I've never been to that planet, so I never got the schooling from Yoda. So I guess I just try, and I don't do sometimes. It's a failing, but what can you say? Now, now you tell me. Now I what? <laughs> now yeah. you tell at, me. at this late date, <laughs> then I'm not going to try that hard. But people who do are what gives us hope to carry on. I was doing an interview today with a paper from Flagstaff, Arizona, because I like to talk to a lot of show business Bibles. And um, she was a very nice reporter named Renee. And um, we got to talking and she said, uh, what about the people who listen to the podcast? And I said, well, it's profoundly changed Jennifer um, and Mai's life. And I was looking around the office and, uh, of course, uh, all over this house at the stacks of books. Um, the it's artwork. It's pretty wild. The baseballs, the stuffed animals, the painted things, the made, uh, the bags, the carrying bags, uh, the man bag, mm-hmm. um, the banners, the portraits, uh, the jewelry. The ship in a bottle. The ship in a bottle. Uh, I have a satchel page jewelry. I have a squirrel pin that I pulled out to show Jennifer today that I got in Vancouver a couple years ago. We have the ship in a bottle. Um, there's paintings of satchel page. There's paintings of the Munjak. There's embroidery of um, one embroidered Munjak that says, I support you in everything you do. Mm-hmm. And another That's one lovely. of a giant ovary that says, grow a pair. <laughs> um, the, the blanket and the pillow. Uh, that say, don't. Oh my goodness. Fuck you, I was born in a cane field. I was going to say don't fuck with me, but that's not it. It's fuck you, I was born in a cane field. We have both a pillow and a blanket. Yes. And uh, the pillow is beautiful. Oh, and there was little paintings of all of those too, if you Mm -hmm. recall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wild boars and all that. Uh, I have a cartoon animation of the wild boars that someone sent me. Um, I have 5,000 books of poetry that all y'all gave me, many of which you wrote yourselves. I have novels that people gave me that they've written, um, graphic novels. Um, that would be your comic book for the lay people. And I don't like to say lay people because I don't like to bring them if I don't. Anyways, uh, it, we're weepingly grateful, and, uh, and nothing's really meant more to me over the last 10 years uh, than to connect with everybody like that. And uh, so I appreciate it. I just want you to know, sometimes I whip through the gifts on the show, I know. And I'm high, and then I don't thank everyone properly uh, when they give us the gifts on the night. And um, You brought back a wind chime recently. Oh, my God, that's right. Uh, one of our friends in the Midwest in Indianapolis, she knows her name, uh, gave me a wind chime that's a kitten clanger. Is that what they call them? What do they call the Inside a bell. 
I'm not certain when it's made out of an absolute vodka <laughs> bottle attached to... It was Grey Goose. <laughs> oh, Grey It was goose. a Grey Goose right. vodka bottle. Right. So she With a kitten attached. She'd run a chain up through the Grey... She had somehow hacked off the bottom of this Grey Goose bottle. That wasn't clear how that had happened. It didn't look particularly... Like that might happen in the Midwest. Right? It wasn't melty, though. It didn't seem safe, like the edges had been cleared in any way. I brought it all the way home, by the way. I rolled it up and packed it and put it in my luggage. Which was a bit exciting, I think. Mm. And so it's a, a, a chain shot through a bottle of Grey Goose and hanging, dangling out the bottom of Clapper, is right, what they call right. it. At the bottom, near the James Clapper, is um, the head of the CIA, the former head of the CIA, Kittens McTavish. <laughs> and so when you hold it up, the apparatus, the whole enchilada, it's supposed to be some kind of wind chime. The last time someone gave us a wind chime was Rainbow in London. Oh, gave my God. That huge wind chime. Oh, right. Which the only time it really got going was when the ceiling in that spare room fell in. Right. And it hit the wind chime at three in the morning. Was the only time the wind chime clanged. And I wasn't there for that one. You were just, you were there alone. We used to live in London and we had an apartment in um, Hampstead, a flat, as they say. And the ceiling collapsed um, in the downstairs bedroom, which was really nice. Thankfully, the spare bedroom. Yeah. And no one was in it. You were alone down there, were you? Yeah. Yeah. To give you an idea of the time period, one of the tchotchkes that was in that room was a book of singled out from MTV that I had in there. Seriously? If you remember the game show, yes. Yeah, someone had given me like a, a comedy book of it. I that remember lived your, there. your whole uh, early Who's Line wardrobe of the, the red jackets, the, the purple, the Moschino vest with the Italian subway tokens. Right. The pony vest. Yeah, it was, it was like a costume department. Right. It looked, it looked like uh, the early 90s. So everything had four buttons on it or five or six and giant shoulders and colors that were unfeasible. There was one jacket that was kind of an ochre uh, orangish. Mm. Then there was the, the cream and black one that I uh, wore with the Nine Inch Nails t-shirt you got me at Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, do, I can't answer for a lot of the wardrobe. Uh, I think the pony... I remember John Cooper Clark came over and... and- we were just trying on jackets and coats for about an I don't know an hour two but hours. Johnny as, could as wear you your do. clothes. Johnny could wear women's right, I had sizes. A couple co- uh, capes mm. as you do. Oh yeah, you you had one cape that I gave you from Fulmore Street that was a big black velvet affair with like pink pinkish coralish lining. Well, and those were the days where you could get amazing fifties items from thrift stores. That was someone's opera cloak. Oh, I had an I mean, opera. That was, you know, yeah. that I got it at the opera shop on Fillmore Street, the secondhand opera shop. That was certainly something oh. someone wore to an opera. San Francisco thrift stores were quite a scene. Oh my God! In those days, because rich people would just dump their whole bloody wardrobe in, and they had evening clothes and gloves and and wraps and oh my God! And it wasn't that expensive then. It might have been the only good thing about the old days. <laughs> what? Here's something about the new days uh, that you'll. Be bound to enjoy. Um, we were talking about Alabama last week because we just got back from Birmingham and Huntsville. And uh, it was a historic two weeks ago. Uh, it was last week of October. Uh, abortion is, is still legal in Alabama because there was an injunction issued right before Halloween. And it was, uh, what, the, what are you reading this again? Why are we covering this again? Because I, we didn't mention it at the time. But the truth is, and it's here from the Chicago Defender. 
um, a black judge and a black doctor were behind overturning Alabama abortion law. District Court Judge Myron Thompson issued an injunction to block Alabama's fetal heartbeat law from going into effect. Now, the, uh, let's just stop for one second. Fetal heartbeat is the worst misnomer in the mm-hmm. history of mankind. It's mm-hmm. like post-birth abortion. Neither of these things exist. It's an electrical charge. Yes. And... They use the fetal heartbeat thing because they really want you to think that that weird, uh, uh, terrible misinformation lie that they keep putting forward that babies are being born and then they're being killed after they're born and stuff like that. They just want to make women's lives that tad bit more difficult. Well, you know, women have it pretty easy. All you do is smile and you get what you want, am I right? The law, which was scheduled to go into effect November 15th, would have banned abortion at every stage and abortion providers would uh, would get 99 years in prison. The reason why um, there was a legal decision on it by district court Judge Myron H. Thompson was the ACLU and Planned Parenthood Federation of America on behalf of Yashika. The ACLU has batteries of lawyers mm-hmm. and they do these exact cases all the time, which is defending a woman's right to choose, uh, uh, defending trans people's rights to attend the prom, that sort of thing that the ACLU does, all the good work um, uh, advocating for. Um, all of the migrant children and families who have been detained mm-hmm. illegally that are in these terrible camps. Um, a lot of times when you watch TV, the people you'll see talking will be ACLU lawyers. Planned Parenthood Federation of America, on behalf of Dr. Yashika Robinson, an OBGYN who provides abortions in Alabama, so she's a hero. Mm-hmm. She praised the decision, according to Mother Jones, the win is critical to our patients and to our health care providers like myself. The abortion care we provide is essential health care. And these ruthless attacks from any abortion politicians have no place in Alabama. Um, I think that sums it up more than you could possibly uh, ever say. It's essential health care. This, yes. is, this isn't yes. some adjunct thing that women get to do as a special treat. It's not something that women are running around wild trying to do on their own. Um, and I really hate that. Um, it's a difficult decision, and everybody who's done it hated it thing, too. That's not true at all. Sometimes it's a necessary decision. As Liz Winstead um, said, there's only the abortion you need. Absolutely. There's no good abortions and bad abortions. Yeah, and why we have to keep explaining that is is because there's such a disinformation campaign against common sense. And women who want to be demonized at every single level in these state legislators uh, uh, are really... Um, unbelievably uh, horrible about bringing this along. Uh, The last several years, it's really been all about state legislatures, state uh, 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 bodies, and governors. And that's who's putting the hammer down on women in all these places. Mm -hmm. It's not a federal mandate. It's not anything. It's these literally almost 99% white guys. Governor Bryant, Governor Bevan, uh, Governor DeWine. These are also states where there's such a high uh, mortality rate for Women giving birth. Like Mississippi with Governor Bryant, like yes. Alabama with Governor uh, yes. Kay Ivey. Um, and here, Randall Marshall of Alabama's ACLU said, abortion remains legal in Alabama. The state's repeated attempts to push abortion out of reach by enacting unconstitutional laws restricting abortions have already cost taxpayers nearly two and a half million. So they're just wasting money on it. But they have all that money to waste. They're highly organized. The upside is they're making people miserable. Yes. And here's the here's the good news at the end of the article. Federal judges have struck down restrictive abortion laws in Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Georgia in recent in recent months. And today 
not struck down but stayed, Oklahoma Supreme Court on Monday temporarily blocked the state from enforcing a ban on a common abortion procedure 6-2. to two. The Center for Reproductive Rights asked the court to block the ban from taking an effect after an Oklahoma state trial court upheld it earlier this year. The law was passed in 2015 but has never gone into effect because of legal challenges. This is where the millions of dollars get spent. They can't spend enough money on these challenges. No, um, and it's also a reminder that every election is so important and the state elections, there's elections coming up in uh, Louisiana, Louisiana on the 16th. There's a runoff uh, for the governor. Uh, governor Bell Edwards is the only uh, Democrat uh, governor in the Deep South. Uh, this The 5th, uh, tomorrow, is uh, Mississippi has uh, has to go to the polls to, to vote for governor, uh, attorney general, and uh, secretary of state. They have the opportunity to um, vote for Democrat Jim Hood. He's actually a bit ahead in the polls, which is just amazing. We shall see when this lands. Um, there's a woman, Jennifer Riley Collins, who's running for attorney general. She would, If she won, she'd be the first African-American elected in Mississippi since 1890. Mm-hmm. Um, the Secretary of State, uh, an African-American man is running, who's a former mayor, Johnny Dupree. Um, the teacher pay in Mississippi is the lowest in the nation. Not at the bottom. It is actually the lowest. And they're one of the states that has never expanded Affordable Care Act. Mm. And they desperately need it. Um, it's cost them so much money um, because they won't expand it. Then that's, This is the state government. Mm-hmm. Um, D- governor Bryant and the state legislature. Um, Jim Hood is running for governor, as Jennifer pointed out. Hundreds of thousands of Mississippians are without health care because of petty partisan politics. What they've done is they refuse to expand the um, um, Obamacare or Affordable Care Act, which many states have opted to do. Mm-hmm. And because they haven't done it, five rural hospitals have closed. That's one of the important things Bill Edwards has done in Louisiana. <clears throat> he is not pro-choice, but he has expanded the Affordable Care Act. It's imperative because without it, uh, people croak. They really Uh, do. Alabama's, uh, just this week, elected the first African-American to lead the Democratic Party there, Chris Anglin. So, I mean, it's, they now have, Birmingham has an African-American mayor along with... Talladega. Right. And, and, uh, did I say Birmingham? You meant Birmingham? I meant... Montgomery. Montgomery, yes. So Montgomery, Birmingham, and Talladega have African-American mayors. And uh, not to be repetitive, but uh, they have Doug Jones, a Democratic senator. So one of their senators is a Democrat. And they're facing a likelihood tomorrow of electing um, some African... Oh, that's Mississippi. uh, uh, In Mississippi, they're uh, facing uh, an historic election. Also, I I would put out Kentucky. We'll know by the time we... um, Andy Bashar. Yeah, and against uh, Bevan. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my. Yeah. And uh, running for lieutenant uh, governor in Kentucky is Jacqueline Coleman, who's a social studies uh, teacher, basketball coach, and uh, most recently assistant principal. Um, they're, they're running on, hey, 
human decency. Give it a chance. Also, our friend uh, Danica Rame, her election is tomorrow. Uh, the whole state of Virginia is hoping to uh, go blue tomorrow. Uh, Danica Rame is a, a trans woman who represents the 13th District, Manassas, and a couple of other... High Market, is it? I can't think of the name of the town she represents. Um, anyway, we had a chance to meet her uh, on tour with the Who's Line guys. Uh, she came to the show in Bethesda with her family, and um, what a... What a thrill. She's so brave and she's so great and so forthright. And um, I hope I'm not giving too much away or being too personal, but I texted her the other day and I said, uh, keep up the fight. And she wrote every goddamn day. She works so hard. Amazing. And talk about healthcare. That's one of her biggest platforms yes. is to make sure that people in her district have healthcare. Speaking of heroes, Sean Doolittle, you may remember uh, he was on the, he's on the Washington Nationals, um, which is the team that won the World Series. He was also before that on the Oakland Athletics where they had an LGBTQ night at an Oakland A stadium. And uh, people freaked out. There was a contingent that was like, we don't want to have that night. We don't think it's appropriate. This is in the Bay Area. And so Sean Doolittle and his wife bought um, uh, all of the... They bought a giant block of tickets at face value, by the way, and so that there would be a safe area for people to sit in at the game. Um, He has been political his entire time um, as an athlete... In the um, in professional baseball, and he didn't go uh, to the big circus that was at the White House today, where you saw a bunch of the players act really freaky and um, that surprised me. Hug and wave hats. Well, you know, the Warriors, the, the Golden State Warriors, refused to go twice, and the Capitals had some people go. By the way, many Washington teams. Uh, we're talking about Mayor Bowser in Washington. They've had the Capitals, the Mystics. Um, and the Nationals all win. The Mystics of the WNBA team, they weren't invited at all. They didn't even get a look in. Um, uh, some of the Capitals went, and then a bunch of the Nationals went today. Last year, when it was the Sox, all the white players went, and all the Latin and black players didn't go. And I can't think of anything more repulsive. Ugh. I love baseball more than anything else. Well, it but certainly puts things in high relief. Doesn't it? who's who. In any case, Sean Doolittle didn't go. And I just wanted to read you one little quote from that. <clears throat> you can read about Sean Doolittle all you like. This isn't so much um, about... Uh, this is about people who have jobs in entertainment, and sports is entertainment, you guys. Um, having an opinion and an informed opinion. At the end of the day, I wanted to be with my teammates, but I just can't do it. He uh, led a parade through Washington. Da, 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 da. They won't get to here. It is. I feel very strongly about his issue on race relations, and he listed the Fair Housing Act, the Central Park Five, and Trump's comments following the white supremacist rally in 2017. His wife and him, Irene Dolan, have two mothers who are very involved in the LGBT community. Now, I wanted to show support for them. Yeah. I think that's an important part of allyship, and I don't want to turn my back on them. I have a brother-in-law who has autism, and here's a guy who mocked a disabled reporter. How would I explain that to him, to him, that I hung out with somebody who mocked the way he talked or the way he moves his hands? I can't get past that stuff. Uh, Ms. Dolan and Mr. Doolittle are... Um, I think beautiful people yeah. in the in the uh, spirit of Billie Jean King and mm-hmm. the spirit of Arthur Ashe and the spirit of Jackie Robinson and Pele and Wyomia Tyus and Althea Gibson and Serena Williams and Simone Biles, the courage to stand up, the voice to speak out and to put your bloody money where your bloody mouth is. Nobody who's been telling athletes and entertainers to separate their politics from their 
um, job dancing for the man has come out and said anything bad about this, uh, uh, about the nationals going and supporting 45. You know what I mean? That goes completely quiet mm-hmm. when it's not Colin Kaepernick, when it's not, Colin, right. uh, uh, when it's not Megan Rapinoe, um, saying we're not going to the fucking white house, <laughs> then, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's controversial when a lesbian woman or a black person does something, but in any case, Sean Doolittle is so awesome, and his wife is too. Um, that story we're going to skip right over, and that one as well, and that one is nothing, and that one's nothing. Ah, here's some more good news. Um, this is from uh, Blavity, which is a site that has um, a lot about African Americans. Uh, Atlanta Mayor uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, by the way, the last two mayors we've mentioned are black women. Yes. Uh, Muriel Bowser in Washington, D.C., and Keisha Lance Bottoms. Hello? Hello? Oh my god, our phone's ringing. Who could it be? Um, Atlanta Mayor Acacia Lance Bottoms announced the city's raised $50 million to provide for the homeless. The city partnered with the United Way of Greater Atlanta to raise the funds. $25 million came from donations from private organizations, including uh, Amherst Bank, uh, who coughed up $114,000. Look at them. And the other half is from the Homeless Opportunity Bond Sale that began under former Mayor Kasim Reed. There are 3,217 homeless people in the city of Atlanta. <laughs> sure there are. Uh, L.A. has a whole city's worth, right? a city, yes. 60,000, is it? And, and it's, uh, the L.A. Times has done a really good job of writing about the homeless problem here. Um, they've done a whole series about it, and, and they've really done a great job of... Uh, pointing out uh, what we can do to help these people instead of demonizing them and making their lives worse. There's always uh, been a project here to take their belongings away from them or to move them from you know mm-hmm. place to place instead of uh, solving some of the issues at hand. And really the, the reason that there's such an uptick in homelessness in L.A. is because rents are, are really high. And they're it's not a condition out. of their character or anything. No, no, it is not because they have a problem with drugs. It's not because they can't hold a job. A lot of homeless people in L.A. have a job. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, there's loads of working poor here. Uh, housing is absolutely too prohibitively expensive. And, uh, you know, the real estate developers of our town are unscrupulous, well, they, you know, snored lords. They just, they jack everything up. They don't see any responsibility to build affordable housing along with having to build the well, expensive exactly. housing that they want to build. That's what I was going to say. They're supposed to include units that are affordable, but they find all kinds of ways around that. Well, I think Governor Newsom knows that it's the biggest job. I think even Mayor Garcetti uh, is quite aware of it. Mayor London uh, Keys in San Francisco. It's a a shocking state of affairs because it's really out of hand. And um, the rich people in all these towns are the people blocking it. Let's be honest. Uh, The bros in San Francisco that Mm -hmm. have all the money, they don't want any homeless shelters open. They shut down a a homeless shelter for women and children that was going to be near Embarcadero. Yeah, it's it's a shocking state of affairs. Let me read a couple of paragraphs at the very end of this because the former mayor Reed um, was the one who started this. He really wanted to get this money raised, and um, Mayor Bottoms has carried on with it. The initiative was announced two years ago when the city's largest homeless shelter, Peachtree Prime, was closing its doors. It housed 500 people, but closed after a 10-year battle with various city establishments and an accusation that it was a culprit behind a TB outbreak. Right, so they were blaming the homeless for having 
tuberculosis. It was unanimously praised by the city council when Bottoms was um, on the council. We now have the opportunity to end chronic homelessness in our city and ensure that men, women, and children, regardless of circumstance, have the chance to live stable, meaningful lives. Uh, That was the former mayor, Kasim Reed. But I think it's beautiful that they were able to get $50,000 together basically by pressuring local banks and by selling these bonds. It's one way to do it. And the only immediate cure for homelessness is, as you say, housing, mm-hmm. followed well, by food and clothing, it's not the whole that enchilada. simple, but it's, you know, it has to be a holistic approach and, and a humane approach. But if you made thousands of units available to people that they could go to, that would be, I know it's not simple. I'm just saying it's not well, an counsel, out of the counseling world. Counseling jobs, medical yeah. treatment. This, this isn't impossible to do. No, it isn't. If you can put on giant sporting events where the parking's directed into things and tickets cost $500,000, $2,000, $3,000, um, then you can certainly um, do this. Uh, I think it's beautiful. And I, I thought it was a kind of a feel-good... Uh, do you have the LeBron... I have it queued up right here. Would because, you like to read it? Well, I was reading it earlier today, and, and uh, LeBron James had opened a school which he intends to expand it's beautiful too by the way yeah it's in his door so he in addition to his school he has is now having an historic part apartment building in akron ohio restored so that families can live there to support their children that are going to the school families in need mm-hmm. and he's just he's addressing this issue uh, as well as uh, i think the is it the year after next the this building will be open. Yes. And uh, his foundation uh, is geared toward uh, at-risk third and fourth graders. Yes. And he wants it to be a, a, a full uh, elementary, First middle, middle high school. Yeah. yeah. In two years' time. Well, I don't know about the school, but the housing will be up in yes. two years' time. Uh, I wanted to read you something he said in a statement. Uh, Our work is focused on helping the kids in the kitchen. We found it's impossible to help them learn if they're struggling to survive. Like you were saying, a holistic approach. If they're hungry, if they have no heat in the winter, if they live in fear for their safety, we want this place to be their home where they feel safe, supported, and loved, knowing we're right there with them every step of the way as they get back on their feet. He opened the school for um, the third and fourth graders last year. He wants to go one through eight by 2022. Um, by the way, the building is absolutely stunning that they're going to use for transitional. Mm-hmm. Um, what a wonderful sports star he is mm-hmm. to not just talk about it, but go back to the town he's from and help children. When we saw Sharon Robinson this year at the um, Negro Leagues Hall of Game ceremony, we've discussed this before in the show. She got up and we all, of course, sat respectfully waiting for her to talk because she's an educator and an activist. She is, in fact... Um, the daughter of, of Rachel and Jackie. So she's not to be uh, underestimated in any way. And the first thing she said to Fred McGriff, Dave Parker, uh, Dave Stewart, and um, uh, Eric Davis was, oh, I want to know what you guys are doing for children. And every single one of them had a charity for children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Dave Stewart was actually helping um, kids in migrant camps as well with he, his wife. He was... They're, they're, they were helping children who were being treated at a medical facility after they were out, out of the uh, camps, uh, which is phenomenal. Well, I mean, LeBron James, um, this, it's astonishing. This school that LeBron James uh, started, it, it's really thoughtful that the housing is five blocks away. Yeah. I mean, everything kind of fits together and it makes sense. Right, so the kids can walk to school. Yeah, and it's useful. Also, uh, this is so exciting. 
when you think about, oh God, no one's doing anything, they are. Graduate hotels operates boutique hotels in college towns around the country. They're going to renovate the Westmont apartment building, which is five blocks from the school, and donate it to the mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I Promise Village will be a monumental next step for us and LeBron, and the commitment um, said Ben, blah, 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 blah. He's the, we might as well give him credit. Uh, CEO of Graduate Hotels is Ben Weprin. And it's beautiful that they did this. Um, talk about a way you can um, help. Akron's a college town. Well, and, and profoundly impact uh, his own hometown. I, I just, you can't say enough about him. And by the way, he was uh, made homeless. Uh, I don't know if he was homeless, but he had to evacuate his house here last week. LeBron. Because of the Getty fire. And he was running around Los Angeles with his family looking for a place to stay, which mm-hmm. was being followed in the news here, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. And um, although uh, I think he's been accepted and beloved here, it hasn't been without terrible incidents. Mm-hmm. He's, he's met this great star. Racism. Right. This great basketball star who's not only a championship and basketball a player, but a, a right guy of the highest caliber um, and a family guy. Let's be honest. He, he's all about that. Um, for him to get messed with here is just uh, really, really shameful. But he's beautiful, and he rumbles on. And what have you got next? Because that's all that I have. Wow, that's it. Um, I checked out. <laughs> no, I got some um, gigs. This last Friday, uh, there was the Liberty and Justice. Event. Oh, that was good, right? Yeah. In Iowa? In Iowa. And uh, Kamala Harris just... She just killed it. She gave, uh, this is Essence magazine. Kamala Harris gives rousing Iowa speech amidst campaign redirection. She's really focusing on Iowa right now. Uh, and she made the point, at the because it was the justice event, about her background as a prosecutor and how she need that we as a country, we need justice after this lawless White House. I heard she imprisoned a bunch of people unfairly when she was oh, here. God, it, it, you know. No, an Uber driver told me the other day. <laughs> right? If people could just look, This dude came up to me on the scooter and he called her a cop. <laughs> and that's where I'm getting my information from, okay? A dude I, on a I scooter. I had a, a, a 30-something white guy tell me that he'd heard some things. But I love that. Uh, what? My, my Uncle Bill, who worked at Ralston Purina for years, once said to me that he heard through the grapevine that Red Fox was dead. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure at Ralston Purina in Nevada what grapevine there was about show business, but I did enjoy that he said that. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, and my Uncle Bill talked like this. He had a country bear. Uh, Greg, I heard through the grapevine that uh, Red Fox was dead. And I'm like, yes, he's passed. And then I was like, well, can I ask at Ralston Purina what grapevine? <laughs> what, uh, like, pa- Red's dead. Pass it on. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, she said at the event, Kamala uh, Harris said, here's the bottom line. I do believe that when we overcome injustices, we'll unlock the promise of America and the potential of the American people. And I do believe that this is what we want and need. This is America that I see. That is the America I believe in, and that is the America I know us to be, and that is why I'm running for president of the United States. It was really powerful and really beautiful. Uh, she came out to Mary J. Blige, strutted out, hmm. and uh, she's just, um, when she speaks, I'm reminded of what Elijah Cummings said about this is our watch. Yeah. And we have to be, we have to pay attention and uh when they ask you in the future what you did that exactly. year, what are you going to say? Are you going to say, 
as General Patton said, I shoveled shit, or are you going to fucking say, I got up, I was counted, I voted, I participated, I wrote an email, I marched, I did whatever I had to do. Um, not everybody can do everything, so other people have to pick up slack for them. But really, you can do something. You can literally just write a postcard or send an email. It's that easy. Mm -hmm. Signing online petitions, not as effective as it might be. No. Uh, but, uh, today was um, John Conyers' funeral. Mm. And uh, Stevie Wonder said that he was a, a friend and, a, and his hero. Did we read that one last time? Which, yeah, we did. We read. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. But we, it, the funeral was today. Yes. And he was one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, he was instrumental in uh, the, the the fact that we have a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Yes. Is down to John Conyers. Uh, and Stevie Wonder. Yes, absolutely. Um, Gil Scott Heron wrote about if, if, that. Yeah, you want to read a good account of it, um, The Last Holiday, Last Holiday by is... Gil Scott Heron. Is, uh, do you mind if I spin a little record here since no. we're um, digging it? Is this one okay? Or is... Well, and we mentioned that he had a photo of himself with Stevie Wonder yeah. in his office. Inner Visions, which is his uh, masterpiece. God, this record. It's fantastic. Um, talking book in this one back to back when we were kids was just mm -hmm. unbelievable. There was a point when he won every Grammy. Like yes. <laughs> for like three or four years, it was just ridiculous. It was so fitting that uh, he sang at the opening of the African American Museum in, in D.C. Because who else? Isn't he just the, I mean... I love Marvin Gaye beyond measure and I love Prince but Stevie Wonder wow he just keeps doing it all the time and do you remember well, he's so politically active as well after the election when it all went to hell in a tamale basket he rang Hillary Clinton at home and sang I just called to see. He actually phoned her. Oh my god! And put I, it on speakerphone and sang. I just called to say I love you, and she was like, "Oh my god!" So Stevie Wonder called. I read that apparently he was at John Conyers' apartment in D.C. and taught John Conyers. I guess he had a keyboard yeah, in his flat, yeah. and, he, and he taught John him love how to play "My Sharia More." Yeah, "My Sharia More." Isn't that so cute? <laughs> So cute. Bill Clinton was at the funeral today, and, I, and it, it made me think of what you used to always say about, uh, and, and maybe people today forget, the peace and prosperity scare. Of the 90s. When... Full employment economy. Bill Clinton was president. Uh -huh, we did pretty well for Weiler. No wars. <laughs> um, the World Trade Center was bombed by terrorists uh, in the basement. That was under uh, bin Laden and whatnot. Um, they chased those guys down. They had a trial about it. We never had increased security at the airport, and we didn't have a Department of Homeland Security, no. and we didn't have to take our shoes off. None of that craziness. No. When there were school shootings, Bill Clinton went, and 
got the uh, legislation rolling. That was the um, assault weapons ban that lasted. The assault weapons ban that lasted mm -hmm. um, until it was let to expire by the Republicans. Um, in any case, uh, Stevie Wonder's uh, everything and more. By the way, this song's called Higher Ground. Um, how many people were so funky, had so much content, and were just irresistible songsmiths, on top of being unimaginably talented? Also, he's irritatingly young now. No, no he's not old. <laughs> he was never old. He's never going to be old. In the 60s, he was little Stevie Wonder. He, when he was making these albums, he was in his 20s. Yeah, that's nauseating. Yeah. Right on! Hey, uh, let's enjoy some comedy. Speaking of music, <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, no, I've got Sedgways. Uh, I've got a scooter, in fact that I'm going to ride on here. Uh, who's live is on the road. Uh, that was uh, right for the moment. It's Dave Foley. Uh, Ryan comes back in December when I go away. Um, we'll, like the King of Sweden with the wind and the snow. November 7th, uh, this Thursday, we'll be in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is uh, famously on Route 66, mentioned in the song. Don't forget Winona, Kingman, Barstow, San Bernardino, and Gallup, New Mexico, uh, and which we sing, of course, every time. Of course. And uh, we'll be in Flagstaff that's this Thursday. Uh, on November 8th, Friday, we're going to Colorado Springs, which is uh, the capital of, of the mountains of Colorado. It's a, There's marijuana dispensaries and an Air Force Academy, so do without what you will. <laughs> I wouldn't fly before I flew. I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't fly and then get high. I would get high first and then fly. See what I did? Then November 9th, uh, Dave Foley will again be appearing with us. Although he does not meet the height requirement, we've waived it for him because of his enormous talent. How kind. We're going to be, isn't it? I've <laughs> tried to look upon the Canadians I've had to work with as charitably as humanly possible. I haven't treated them any different than if they were from America. Um, I've worked with Colin Mokri uh, and Dave Foley and... Uh, I've I've tried to give them the the respect I would an American comedian, <laughs> even though they've snuck down from their icy cold uh, tundra to steal money money mm -hmm. from harder working American comedians. No, I've been to Canada enough. I I know that the exchange comedy rate is lower than it once was. Uh, November thirteenth, Friday, we'll be in Fairbanks, Alaska. Way up north, north. To Alaska, go north, the rush is on. Um, Johnny Horton uh, wrote so many psychotic, patriotic songs. What was wrong with him? He was a country singer, but he wrote, um, me and Bob were singing in the van two weeks ago, Jennifer. Um, we fired our guns and the British kept coming. There wasn't quite as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Two, three. In 1814, oh. we took a little trip. And with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. Yeah, uh, uh, that was yeah, the Battle of New Orleans. Out of my right ear. He also did um, Sink the Bismarck, which was this weird what? song about... We've got to sink oh, no. the Bismarck for no. the world depends on us. <laughs> we hit the dicks are running and we spun those guns around. We've got to sink the Bismarck because there's things inside the ground. I don't know what the fuck lyrics were. And then the, um, there's one that's about north to Alaska, go north, the rush is on. I, I, he might be in some ways... I, I don't even know how to begin to describe I, Johnny Horton. But we're going to Fairbanks. Okay. And Fairbanks has 30,000 people and 16 dispensaries, as far as I and can count. And one of them's called? 
Dankridge. Not, <laughs> as I pointed out earlier, not Fair Danks. Wouldn't Fair Dank have been? No, Dankridge. I think it's a chain, and I think it's out of Anchorage. Then the next night, we will be, in fact, be in Dankridge uh, after we go to Fair Danks. That's November 16th, Saturday. So come and dig us there. Uh, I talked to the um, Alaskan reporter today, Julie. What was she doing this weekend? Uh, Julie writes for the, what is it, the Independent Miner? Yeah. Uh, M-I-N-E-R, Miner. Um, so but Julie and I exchanged emails on Friday, <laughs> now that you asked, Jennifer. And I wrote her and I said, Julia, how's Monday? And she wrote, I can't talk this weekend. I'm out dog sledding. As you do and in, uh, in Alaska. What else can you do? It's funny because um, I was busy bu- here building a mission <laughs> and planting vineyards <laughs> and establishing the state of California. I, I, Yes. Emperor Norton and I had a meeting over the weekend where we developed some of our own currency. Uh, then John C. Fremont and I uh, mm-hmm. went up to Sutter's Mill. We're looking for some gold. We didn't find anything. Um, <laughs> I can't believe we're still dog, dog sledding. So I rang her today, Jules, and I said, by the way, that was the greatest email I've ever gotten that you wrote. I can't talk to you over the weekend because I'm dog sledding. And I was like, what, is Jack London there? What about White Fang? What about the call of the buck, is it? in the call of the wild buck? Who's from Santa Clara, is it? Mm-hmm. Everything with Jack London's Bay Area. They're yes. always in the East Bay or yes. Modesto or Santa Clara. or You know, it's really cool. Or Santa Rosa, I mean, rather. Right. And in, in White Fang, doesn't he retire to Santa Rosa? And in um, uh, uh, Call of Wild, I think they end up in Santa Clara. Which are both very beautiful, warm, mm-hmm. rolling hills. Like, it's the epitome of Northern California. Santa Clara and Santa Rosa are really... Santa Clara a little warmer, maybe. Although in the summer, Santa Rosa. And the fires, of course, raging all through. Yeah, uh, so sadly. In any case, uh, I rang her today, and she goes, uh, "We were for, we were on um, uh, uh, carts with tires because there's not enough snow." She left that open, but I was hip enough to know you mean for so, sledges. So you you do a tires faux sledding experience, but, but the dogs pull it anyway. And I said to her, "So you weren't on a sled; you were on a, a cart." And she goes, "Yeah, we were out in the wilderness." What, what, we were she outdoors. said it doesn't get better than that. We're, right. In the wilderness. We were in the wilderness with a bunch of dogs, and it doesn't get better than that. And what was your response, Greg? I said, that, uh, to be sure. I, I never gainsay. No, but I mean, when you got off the phone, I think your wilderness experience was, you, you walked I went in to the, the dri- driveway today. I went to the Four Seasons lobby, and <laughs> it was such a long walk to the buffet, I went back to my room and ordered room service. Because when I'm out in the wilderness of, say, a hotel lobby. <laughs> um, speaking of Akron, uh, or was it Dayton? No. Which town is um, Klinger from in MASH? Toledo. Remember? Klinger's famously from Toledo because he's roots with the mud hens. And he mentions this all the time for no reason. Because Toledo they has... have a, a character other than being... Well, but he's, he's Middle Eastern and he's from the Midwest, which is a typical... And um, uh, I didn't think the... Uh, The food at the hotel was up to much in Toledo. And that's kind of that's my... That's sad. Well, we were talking about Jack London earlier, and Jack London... Jack London made it to what? 48? Oh, God. I don't think he Steven? made it to 40. He talks a lot about survival. He talks a lot about what the human condition means when faced with unbelievable circumstances that you can't control. He talks about wild animals' will to live uh, being a real through line in this thing. Mm-hmm. Free will is, of course... But someone that, that wants to spend time in the Bay Area, that doesn't scream... I want to be in the wilderness with dogs. 
He did go to I know. the Yukon and to Alaska. But he, um, did he stay there? Oh, no. There's also a lot of characters in his books that represent the sissified um, white liberals of the 1890s and turn of the century. You ever read the Sea Wolf? The guy that gets stranded no, with the, the guy that gets stranded with the Sea Wolf is a total white bourgeois Bay Area guy who's on a ferry, and the ferry sinks. Was, was it ever thus? And he gets picked up by this crazy guy who's going seal hunting in Japan, who kidnaps the white liberal and takes him there and forces him to confront his morality and mortality, right? By presenting him with this zero-sum world where you die or get killed. And the white guy is like, I can't believe you live this way. And the sea wolf is like, I can't believe you're such a sissy. You don't understand how the world works. And uh, that's the theme of that book. I about Robert Louis Stevenson traipsing around the globe. Well, he wasn't healthy. No, ever. You, when you read the Wild West one where he takes the he, train across the country, he's coughing and sick the whole fucking time. Well, and still looking fabulous. Oh, my God, he's I, so gorgeous. So Jack London I was good looking, I assume, too. you know, in, in Fiji in a three-piece suit in Hawaii. With a handkerchief over his mouth. Right. Um, Jack London was really good looking and drill. Why did he die? I'm just looking that up. I think he, there was a lot Yeah, look at his straight arrow. Oh, was, he oh my died God, of 40. He died 14. of drink, really? No. No, I'm. I, I, what year did he die? The twenties. Uh, sixteen. Oh my god, he didn't make it to the twenties. In Glenellen. Wow. Glenellen's Glen so, so beautiful. Oh my god, Glenellen's lovely. He's such a Northern California. Really, Bohemian Club comes up in his <clears throat> bio. Speaking of that, we're in Fairbanks and Anchorage. <clears throat> I'll be buying a dog on the dock at Anchorage. And um, the dog's going to be almost wild because of how it's been mistreated. And then the dog's going to fall in love with me and want to do anything for me. And then I'm going to come back to America. And... Jack oh, wait London a minute, that's had a scurvy in the Klondike. What did you do? He had scurvy, scurvy oh, no. in the Klondike. That means no vitamin C. That is not fun in the wilderness uh-uh. with dogs. Your teeth fall out. Your gums get soft. And um, it's a terrible illness. Did he really have scurvy? He had everything. So, was that what killed him, or who cares? Um, <laughs> the 21st, I mean, I care, I'm just saying. By the way, Jack London's a wonderful writer, if you've never read him. Yeah. There's a lot of real um, Steinbeckian morality thrown at you, right? A, yes. You have to decide whether That's you're... That's the California part. ...an animal or a human all the time. is is, And he often uses... And often the animals are more yeah, human. The animals have emotional lives. The animals have love. The animals have dedication and uh, loyalty. The animals have long memories. Mm-hmm. Um, White Fang is an extraordinary story. That's, what is it? The, the tooth, the, the law of the tooth, the law of the claw. Mm-hmm. And then um, Call of the Wild uh, is a dog who has been brutalized so bad that he almost goes wild. And then a human's love brings him back to being a a good dog. Mm -hmm. And he finds love with this human. And then the human tests Buck's loyalty and then realizes he's gone too far that the dog's already dedicated to him. It's a really wild, it's quite a good, it's very emotional. It's a Clark Gable. In the movie with Clark Gable. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. I haven't either. I've seen the sea wolf and it's John Garfield. And um, uh, brilliantly, oh, that's a good choice. Edward G. Robinson. So John Garfield's the liberal that gets backed up, and Edward G. Robinson's the insane uh, seal captain. It's it's really good. There's additional dialogue. They changed the plot entirely, but who gives a shit? It's a much better movie. November twenty first <laughs> will be in Memphis, Tennessee, which I'm real. Have you ever been to Memphis? Yes. Have we discussed when this? I was a kid. Oh, did you get to? You didn't get to go to Beale Street or anything? No. Did they? Did badly. you go for uh, uh, biscuits or anything or? A pin- with your sure. dad, yeah. Of course. Mm. We're going to Memphis. 
I don't think I'm going to Graceland. Unlike Paul Simon, he's going to Graceland, according to the song. Oof. The 22nd um, will be in Wichita. Have you ever been to Wichita? Yes. Sadly. Really? Yes. I've never been there. We've been all over Kansas. That. I didn't mean to just... No, I know, I know. We've been to Kansas City. We've been to, which is Missouri, I know. But we've also been to um, uh, uh, the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Uh, we've had that a lot of times to go to Missouri and Kansas the last few years, Iowa and Indiana. I've spent more time in these states than I've ever have in my life. And it's really nice. The people are really awesome. Wichita is awesome because, um, I don't know if you know this, Jennifer. I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main road. Just searching in the sun for another overload. Meow, 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 meow. And I need you more than one. Wichita Lyman was um, originally filmed there in Wichita. Uh, the whole series, all eight seasons of it. Glenn Campbell uh, starred in it. It was a tremendous. Uh, Scoey Mitchell and Glenn Campbell. Trem- Jimmy Webb. Yeah. It's my favorite Jimmy Webb song. Gentle on my mind, whatever. Okay, by the time I get to Phoenix, I do love MacArthur Park because we always quote the song on the bus when I'm with the boys, Jeff <laughs> Davis, Dave Foley, and uh, Joel Murray, because we can never really get over the lyrics to MacArthur Park. And uh, they've interviewed Jimmy Webb about the lyrics, and he's like, I, I, I don't. I, I just made it up. Because we go, okay, well, yeah. someone left the cake out in the rain, and I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to make it and bake it, and they'll never, I'll never have the recipe again. Oh, no. And then in the Richard Harris part, oh, no. Right? Like, it's a, a, a drama. Uh, really? We've never had this many phone calls. I'm just shutting the door. That's a spirit. I know what, I know what that call is. By the way, uh, uh, Donna Summer did an awesome disco version of MacArthur Park that's really <laughs> I made a cake yesterday and I didn't I meant well, to mention that Jennifer. there's a lack of rain in the LA area thank you there's much fire so thank you for bringing it up it wasn't in the rain at any point no but um, I was there through the whole process of Jennifer making it and it was a coconut cake with a cream cheese coconut frosting and approximately a pound of powdered sugar it was just it's shocking I mean, I wanted to do the Mississippi Dole Miles's recipe, and I just I had what to draw back. I, I had to draw back because hers included sugar syrup, cream of coconut. You didn't put sugar syrup in it. We have sugar syrup in the back. The woman is diabetic. Oh, and didn't I eat her only, coconut cake yes, two weeks ago? Yeah. And she only tastes her her. Was that Huntsville now. or Birmingham? That was uh, Birmingham. Birmingham Highlands. What was Birmingham. the name of that? Shea Bon Bon Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I, I just couldn't bring myself to uh, carbo load to that extent. Um, I thought that it was extraordinarily sweet, and I thought, and with all respect that I made. That's what I'm saying. All res- no, sweet. yours. All respect to hers. Yours was better than hers because hers was. I reported to you live different. when I ordered it, and um, it was smashing. Um, and honestly, let's be honest, it was pouring rain when I ate that cake in Birmingham. And <laughs> Did you go outside with it? Yes. Spring was never waiting for us, girl. I don't think that I can take it. Why did someone leave the cake in the rain? I, I, I think that that's a, a falsehood. 
It's knowing that your doors are always open and your grass is free to walk that keeps my sleeping bag rolled up in stash behind your couch. <laughs> that is a fucking... You know what? You're taking a chance. You're kind of rolling the dice on that one because it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't even rhyme. No. But Jimmy Webb's a good... He, no, but you have a, a, a tale to tell. Well, one, and I always felt like he had that Burt Backrack thing going on with Len Campbell, like Burt Backrack and Hal David had on with Dionne mm-hmm. Warwick. Mm-hmm. Because Dionne Warwick was the perfect interpreter of their songs. His weird little horn stabs and piano rolls and Hal David's awesomely simple lyrics and Jimmy Webb's weird convoluted bullshit funneled through the Americana of Glenn Campbell, who has a beautiful voice and is a great player. And yet, Dionne Warwick, glamorous. Dionne Warwick's flawless. the greatest of all time. There's, I, I will just never stop What is that, worshiping. that uh, clip of her in France? I'm glad you on, asked. She's on the roof I'm, I'm, and she's just... She's just stunning in some kind of designer outfit. As you know, I spend a great deal of time... Is it perhaps walk on by? ...on the road. And yes, um, I watch this video kind of every week. (laughs) I'm not... um, But it's so... I'm not a member of the HLGBTQ community. It's so swinging. That's Francois Hardy. No, that's not the one. Hang on a second. Uh, I have it and not only is it a great video and a great song and a great arrangement and a great take on the whole thing it's like a short French film mm-hmm. 1964 oh, this is the best part she's standing on a roof and then she takes a few steps she's wearing all black with brown suede shoes a purse and a stuffed animal then five steps into it the Eiffel Tower Stuffed animal. Yeah. Now you know where she is, though. She's on top of oh, a roof. Oh, you know where she is. In Paris. She's wearing a medallion, a black turtleneck, and a kitten stuffed animal. And her hair. And she's someone that doesn't need to do cat eye makeup because she has cat eyes. She's beautiful. Yeah. Her neck and Cole's Gorgeous. eyes are just... But her hair. And now she's walking backwards. And now it's a French film. And it's nothing but dudes in suits. A bunch of good-looking French guys with gray haircuts holding or wearing hats in suits in front of a modernist. It's so swinging. Right? I watch it every week, Jennifer. If this is sad to my listeners, so be it. It's a short French movie. That guy, hello, what? Wow. Right? Dionne Warwick, what? She seems pretty happy. If I was shooting on the roof in Paris and I was wearing what she's wearing, she's got black pants, a black polo, a turtle. That looks like a Chanel shoulder bag. She's got a a purse because you might just take off from the roof and and like little brown little brown shoes that are really. I love that you think that they're brown. Aren't they? Look, look. That's great. Aren't they? All of the guys are sitting in Tonay. Dining chairs. Looking sexy. Cafe chairs. I mean, how good looking are some of these guys? They look like models they might be. I think they are. How chic is this video? Amazing. Has everyone stopped listening at this point? (laughs) Look at her look there, too. Wow. You'll get no argument from right, me. Now she's surrounded by admirers. Th- this is the French film part. What's happening here? There's too much pressure. I, I, my emotions. I 
Well, she's giving them the cold shoulder. Oh. She's like, yeah, you're great looking. I, she, I've got to go. Yeah. She gave him the side look, too, in that I've one scene. She, she looked up at the blonde guy and like... I'm I, I'm a superstar singer. She goes, I can't get over losing you. And is she little booties? No, is it, it's like little brown booties. So I saw her in 1981, open for Bob Hope. And... Um, that's an odd it was, combination. Yeah, it was at this corporate gig for McDonald's at Civic Center in San Francisco, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And um, Dionne Warwick came out first and did a real good old salad, 45 minutes easily. And uh, um, she sang what I remember, and it's not even my favorite, uh, Message to Michael was so good. Hmm. You remember that song? Yeah, of course. Message to Michael. And then um, uh, she did House Not a Home, San Jose, um, Walking By, uh, and then, you know, her later hits. But, oh, my goodness, she wore this gown, and she was so sophisticated. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, she's so swank. Like, this is really... Um, her songs are perfectly chosen. Her vocals are perfectly timed. Um, she's got a load of soul and she's really regal. Whitney's aunt. She's the perfect, she's kind of the Whitney of the early sixties, but a different bag. They gave her this songbook that she did. That's so iconic and, um, tasteful. Mm-hmm. She can, she can scream and she can yell. She can do all those things. She just, that ain't what's happening with her. Mm-mm, mm-mm. She's up town. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very, uh, Relaxed, chill, and uh, she just never puts a foot wrong. I mean, the no. the voice is always and no sweating. Perfect. We're not sweating. I'm I'm in complete control. I'm, Sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna. I, I just wanted to mention this story that is so wild. Uh, this man just passed away at fifty five. No, go on, please. Uh, his name was James Stern, and uh, a woman at. The Washington Post had interviewed him a year ago. Her name was, her name is Katie Mettler, and uh, James Stern was doing time for fraud, and he is he was African American. He was from South Central L.A., and uh, he met a white supremacist in prison, mm-hmm. and he convinced this white supremacist. To leave him everything. This is James Stern. Mm-hmm. Ah. And that wasn't enough. After accomplishing that, he uh, says here, for weeks Stern had been courting Jeff Scoop, the longtime leader of the National Socialist Movement, in recorded phone calls. His mission to persuade Scoop 45 to turn over the country's largest neo-Nazi group to a black man. Isn't this great? His promise to get Scoop and his organization removed from a federal lawsuit alleging that he and two two dozen other hate groups and their leaders had conspired to commit violence while organizing the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Isn't it great that he did this? It's just amazing. I've been reading about this. He just passed, did he? He just passed. He had cancer. He wasn't very old. No, he was 55. But Scoop was still skeptical of of the plan Stern had laid out for them, particularly signing a legal statement of facts that made them sound like adversaries instead of allies. Like it's basically like you're trying to legally wrangle the organization from me, said Mm -hmm. Scoop, who consented to be recorded. 
uh, Stern repeatedly assured him they were a team. Right. You have to go with me. Go with my instincts. We started this for a reason. A year into fighting the Charlottesville lawsuit, Scoop was broke and scared. Yeah. Uh, the march had left one woman dead, yep. dozens injured, and the entire nation stunned, fueling an uh, orchestrated campaign by anti-hate groups. Some members had walked away. There was infighting. Scoop was worried the organization he led since he was 21, known worldwide for wearing Nazi stormtrooper uniforms and celebrating Hitler's birthday, would be blamed for the violence of others. No, surely not. Just before Christmas in 2018, he found a confidant in Stern. Yeah. The two had met five years earlier when Stern invited Scoop to fly from his home in Michigan to California for an event called the National Conversation on Race with Black Activists. Right. They were an unlikely pair to lead that debate, but they shared a you connection mean a Nazi in the, yeah. to one of the country's most prominent racists, Edgar Ray Killen, ah, the KKK leader yeah. who orchestrated the Mississippi burning killings of three civil rights workers in 1964. Oh, my God. Scoop knew Killen through the white supremacy movement. Stern knew Killen from prison. While inside for fraud, mm-hmm. Stern lived in the same cell block as Killen. Mm-hmm. He said he persuaded the Klansman to sign over his life rights and legal power by promising to get him a book and movie deal. Years later, when Scoop shared his legal troubles, Stern saw an opportunity to win over another white supremacist. How great is this story? In 18 phone calls that Stern recorded between December 2018 and February 2019 and provided to the Washington Post, he offered Scoop a simple solution. Give the National Socialist Movement to me, Stern said, and I'll make the lawsuit disappear. If you change your mind, he assured him, I'll give it back to you. Wow. Scoop quietly wiped his officers' names from the group's incorporation paperwork Paperwork replaced them with the names of Stern and another black activist. So there's black men's names on the paperwork. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, is like black Klansmen. Right. And it, it's still being fought there. They're, you know, because of this course. man sadly died of cancer during this. Um, he's when he was getting him to do this. Um, he scoop wrote. Due to the uh, opposite of views of James Stern on nationalism, I have turned both the nonprofit uh, and the domain website over to him. I have sincere motives, and this was not just a stunt. How amazing is that? Uh, the fact that he was working on this is just... Well, he's swirling in the heavens, and he can't have enough praise. My goodness gracious. The fact that he took on two in his lifetime, gigantically. I like when you're, what was it, a famous racist? What was the description? <laughs> uh, when I die, I hope that, uh, as, you, as you know, Jennifer, I've always wanted the Hallowell description. That doesn't make any sense to our listeners. There was a film book by a, a, a film critic named Leslie Hallowell who passed away. Like Leonard Maltin, he wrote a comprehensive book that was like basically every movie ever. And he described people as uh, femme fatale and then my favorite one American tough guy and I know I'm never going to be an American tough guy but I'm not going to be a noted racist and that one I think wowzers McTavish stern his courage his brass right and his and because he had known one of these people in prison that he understood that one on one one on one they they know about self preservation and suddenly all the 
No, the racism. The the but but they're always militaristic mm-hmm. in their approach. But one on one, it's like, hey, if you can give me a book deal, they didn't care that he I'll was, just sign was anything. Black. No, well, they only care about themselves. Well, and he was able to use that awesomely. Yeah, right. He he understood the psychology. It's a pity um, because he is one of nature's gentlemen. Yvette Lundy was in the French Resistance. She was in a concentration camp. She's in the heavens now, awesomely, at the age of 103. She supplied fake papers to Jewish families, men fleeing forced labor, and escaped prisoners of war during the Nazi occupation of France. In 2017, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) by the way, if you promise me I can live 43 more years, (laughs) and then when I die, have this headline... No, it's a crappy headline. Uh, She inspired a character in the 2009 French film Corcoro, which follows a gypsy family under threat from the Nazis. She was remembered on Sunday for her work as a member of the resistance known as the Possum Escape Mm -hmm. Line. Starting in 40, she supplied fake papers to people who were hidden at her brother's farm. She was arrested, like so many Mm -hmm. heroes of the resistance, in June 44, when she was 28, and taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany, she spoke frankly about the dehumanization she suffered there from the outset when she was forced to strip in front of the SS officers. The former teacher was transferred to Buchenwald and liberated in 45. She was silent about what happened to her, but in 1959, she began sharing her testimony with French and German students, promoting a message of reconciliation. She's an example to all of us, uh, wrote the mayor of Epernay. Um, Asked on her 100th birthday what advice had guided her life, she Mm. replied, Always ask, where are we going? With whom? What will we do? Everyone has a duty of responsibility, no matter how young. Isn't that um, the truth? And isn't it so profound? I'm so sick of hearing people check out and so sick of hearing people go, Oh, he's going to win, or there's nothing I can do, or the voting's rigged, or the Dems are in disarray, or... You know, we talk a lot of smack on the show because we have to, and we're opinionated, and we're smart, and we're informed. But, on the other hand, um, we're all on one side here, on the side of right. And if we disagree over candidates, if we disagree over policy, if we disagree over this and that, I am willing to reach across and say yes. If you're a Nazi, and you're willing to uh, disavow being a Nazi... Um, I'm willing to, Mr. Stern, you. What if you don't like peppermint? Okay, that's weird. What What if soup's off the menu? I What kind of soup? Mulligatawny or, or tomato bisque? Or what are we talking about here? Shrimp? Minestrone. I love minestrone. Your minestrone is really good. No, but people have to do, they have to do their, uh, you have to dig, you have to look things up, you have to, to educate yourself, you have to vote in every election. Um Make an effort. Right. And if you come at me on social media, I ain't hate you. But if you're going to be a racist, then I do. And I'm, and I'm going to block you. And so that's how that works. Or misogynist or homophobic or yeah. uh, ableist, not uh, shine a light on the disabled. Uh, not, uh, you know, we have to have a humane approach on and let the homeless vote, the formerly incarcerated vote. Not on my watch, Jennifer. Um, I wanted to talk about one more hero here and a couple of heroes this week. Um, Ms. Yovanovitch, uh, who was uh, the envoy to Ukraine, uh, 
Now the testimony's come out and it's uh, been sorted that the 45 White House tried to beat her up pretty bad and scare her. And if you recall how she came to the hearings, she came in sunglasses and a coat. A um, 30-year career in the State Department. All of the people uh, that Taylor, um, the, the other hero who came in his, uh, um, the envoy to the Ukraine who wore his dress uniform, Volkovich, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh are right people with them, uh, extraordinarily defined morals and a hone sense of what's right and what's wrong. They all reported to their superiors that they thought something was gone to shit in Shitsville, and they were all rebuffed. And now we know that um, Marie Yovanovitch was actually openly threatened. It's pretty shocking. Well, it's not just shocking. It's it's beyond the pale of any threatened kind of by forty five. The and office then, of the president. And his son called her a clown. Was yeah, it? yeah. No, it's 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 really bad. I'm not a conspiracy person in so much as I don't need um, conspiracies to prop up facts because uh, facts exist um, and they're uh, not. Well, they may not be immutable, but my goodness, they're there. You can scream and yell all you want, but they're skullduggery, chicanery, badassery. And felonies of every kind from Manafort, Giuliani, Mulvaney, Barr, uh, Pompeo, uh, all of these, uh, the the Gang of Three, Perry, whatnot, uh, 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 a political appointee from Portland who is looking more and more like a perjurer at this point. Uh, The proceedings are moving on for several reasons. And the main reason is... It was Vindman. Thank Vindeman. you. Alexander Vindeman, who wore his, his dress hero. uniform, uh, decorated a yes. war hero in America and also a fluent speaker of Ukrainian and Russian. Um, today, one of uh, Giuliani's. Oh, Parval? Yeah. Parnas? Whatever, that skis. Um, I, I think his company is called One Eyebrow Incorporated. Great, great fraud. Yeah, giant frauds, yeah. They were going to call themselves, um, uh, what was yours? Leave the Blini? <laughs> Take the gun, leave the bleeding. Take the gun, leave the bleeding. No. (laughs) Take the bleeding, leave the gun. Yeah. (laughs) Leave the gun, take the bleeding. Take the bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, They couldn't be more obvious about it. Why not call themselves criminal organization that threatens the Ukrainian ambassador? Well, he said she's going to be in for some trouble. She's got some tough times coming out. Let me tell you something. This is like listening to John Gotti. It's really bloody awful. Well, he's going to squeal. Yeah. That didn't take long, thank goodness. What happens to sinking ships is, um, traditionally, you'll think you'll find rats leave them. And we've heard 45 call people rats before. And only a gangster calls other people rats. Because only a gangster has rats. Um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, segueing deftly. Wow. um, Glasgow is a place that's known for several things. Uh, in my experience, um, milkshakes thrown against walls, as you recall, five, seven years ago, six, I was there, received a whole lot of baseball cards, doing a gig at the, a beautiful theater there. And there was a milkshake thrown against the wall. And I said, what other town do people get halfway through a milkshake and they go, I'm not having it. I just love <laughs> fucking chocolate. It's delicious. I, ah, and then they get angry. You and don't, then they write a novel, maybe. Right? You, you don't see milkshakes thrown against walls. At that point, when I went to Glasgow, there was a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow, like the London oh, I Eye. That. But it wasn't on a. Glasgow's on the Clyde River, but it's not like on a bay or anything. So 
the Ferris wheel was situated in between several gigantic buildings that were downtown. So if you took the fucker, your view was people on the sixth and seventh floor of the building looking out at you like Scottish people were standing in the windows of the office building. And uh, it cost seven or eight quid, so no one was on it. <laughs> right? Because it cost about 11 euros. 10 America, 12 America. No, seriously? It yeah. cost that much? Yeah. For uh, several times up and down around, surrounded on three sides by buildings. And my joke was at the time I was playing the stand in Glasgow, which is a venerated comedy club there. An institution. Isn't that the one that says if you're on E... Drink in, some water. In the bathroom, there was a sign that That's said... That's very helpful. If you're, yeah, if you're tweaking on um, E or Wiz, uh, you were to eat some crisps. Eat a bag of Is crisps. Is that enough? In Scotland? To keep you going? Jennifer, you were in Sweden when a woman went down from too much alcohol and no food. Went outside, was violently there ill, There were some presume. interesting noises. Yeah. She made a, a noise like a narwhal coming home uh, to the last fjord, but not in a healthy state. Kind of a, there was a, that noise. And mm-hmm. we all in the audience went, what is, she went outside and I said to the audience, if you recall, she's going to go outside and be. She's a Viking. Yeah. She got some air. Do you remember how tall that she woman was? She got some air and she came back. She was six foot one. Yeah. In flats, she was six foot one. So you're saying Glaswegians, uh, you're, you're way high. I'm OD. Oh, I'm having a crisp. Oh. Salt and vinegar. I had crisp. two beef and tomato oh, crisps, right? I'm fine. And half a pint of IPA. And then you know what? <laughs> you know, I feel okay. Now. <laughs> Everything's cool. She came back Listen in. Listen to some Jesus and Mary Chain yeah. and woo. Yeah. She came back in and um, with the help of uh, 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 Josephine. Josephine. Josephine Baird came in, uh, was in the crowd that night, uh, has been in the crowd. And I, I think we mentioned before the club manager did nothing. Oh, no one did anything. And so Josephine stepped Josephine up. Josephine got up and carried the woman out. And then the woman came back in about half an hour into the show, 40 minutes later. Which toward the end. I just thought showed a lot of moxie. I said she was coming back in. She barfed and then she had a cigarette. And we then don't know what happened. We, yeah, I do know what happened. I don't even have to. I can tell I you the story. I think that she just needed some air. fresh Scandinavian air. Let me put it this way. Something happened and then she came back in and started drinking again. And sat down. That of Scandinavia. That one. And when the woman, the man gave me the, no, the woman gave me the, um, uh, the Scandinavian witch brew that her mother had made that had herbs in it. And we were at the Soho in London and you went, what? You were in the audience. You were too far away to interfere. And I, wow. uh, yeah, uh, I poured myself a dram and I poured a guy in the front row a dram. And he downed it. And we both drank it and I went, I'm kind of high. And how are you feeling? And he went, oh. And it was like this weird, weird, really homemade brew. It was kind of brownish purple. It was, it wasn't wholesome. Her mother made it. It wasn't recommended that you ingest that. Whatever was in it got you high drunk, like uh, mezcal or tequila, you know, like more like that than, than alcohol. You know what I mean? Like a a mixture of drugs and, um, and drink. Uh, speaking of drugs and drink, uh, we'll be at the, uh, in Glasgow, uh, at the night. So there, my joke was because there was a Ferris wheel in the middle of the town surrounded by office buildings and Fred McCauley was there and he'll back me up on this. I said, uh, uh, having a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow is like having a Ferris wheel in the middle of Glasgow and the crowd. There's, um, a statue in the town square there. 
that there is a perpetual traffic cone bollard <laughs> on top of. No one has ever right, let you this. You want to celebrate yeah. the figure. There's never not a bollard which is a giant orange <laughs> cone on top of the head of the statue. Glasgow won't have it. It's just not happening. It's great. And so I'm really looking forward to playing there. We're going to have a great time. Jennifer hasn't been, you haven't been to Glasgow in a long time. No. Not yeah. since the touring days, I think. I, the last time I was in Glasgow, uh, there was a, a cab that was, or a driver was bringing me to the show that you were working mm-hmm. on. And oh he ran God. out of yes. petrol. Yes. And we, we got, so we were at the, the station and I could barely understand him. And because we, of his accent. Well, I, I, I can understand people in Edinburgh. Yeah. Glaswegian mm-hmm. is a whole other bag. Mm-hmm. And so, and also we were running out of topics because at this point it was a long ride and, were you getting petrol at this point, or what was Taggart. happening? Taggart. Oh, yeah. The show, I... the, detec- the detective show, Taggart. How long was that on? I think for 13, forever. 14 years. And every, the joke was that every Scottish actor in Scotland ever had been on that TV show. Also, they spoke in heavy and it was hard, Glaswegian. Yeah, it was, it was a, a hard-bitten detective. And a running joke on Jimmy the show. Jimmy was it? Jimmy. Right, Jimmy Taggart. The, the run, gag on the show was the, you know, God forbid they'd have to go to Edinburgh because yeah. they were all Ponzi and, and uh, it was just brutal for them to have to... Right, deal with their pretend sophistication. <laughs> Because people in their town were being stabbed through the eye. Oh my god! It was it was drug so, deals. Yeah, drug deals. Brutal. I remember somebody had a snake in their bed. I was going to say know, people. It was, just it was like, baroque. It was mayhem. Yeah, baroque. Mayhem. Yeah, no. In so Tiger, this was yeah. my the entire conversation that we we finally found ourselves in was because you'd both watched. I had watched Taggart. Thank God. We watched it in the states in if San you Francisco. Yeah. yeah, I had religiously watched it, so I was like. A, and by the way, it didn't show its titles. Could, That's a lie. No, I, I could keep up with that. And, you know, that, I think, ensured that I was going to get to the set. Mark? What was his name, Mike? Mark, Mark McManus. Yada. Punched. Punch. Right. Paulus. Not police. No, no, no. The Paulus. Murder Paulus. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. They were the murder Paulus. Yeah. It was, oh, that show's so good. Glasgow. And by the way, John Mouchery, who we've spoken of on the show. Have I told all the stories? Some. Here's do, one. Do tell. Here's one. Um, John Macherry is conducting the orchestra with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And um, John Macherry was director of the um, Glasgow uh, <clears throat> National Opera in Glasgow. And uh, for seven, eight years. Is the violinist also a pugilist? Yeah. They're not only a pugilist, they, <laughs> they'll gnaw scrap with you, uh, mate. And... Uh, uh, John can do a, a, a tremendous Glaswegian accent. And I mean a proper, oh, Jimmy, like, hilarious. And um, That's nice in a Leonard Bernstein protege. I've never loved knowing someone as much as I've loved <laughs> knowing John Mocherry. John Mocherry was the conductor of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra for a dozen and a half years. And he was a protege of Leonard Bernstein, who, when we're in conversation will say to us, the cast, oh, Lenny was so funny. <laughs> and you'll be like, did you say Lenny? Um, was Zeneca a riot? Yeah, yeah, Wolf, Wolfgang. When Virgil Thompson came by, you, oh my God, oh, the stories. Uh, uh, you know, Beethoven, 
the thing about Bach was he was so funny. It was like when you hear him go Lenny, you're like, um, you know, Shostakovich was cheap. Uh, I it's just, it's astonishing. And, um, he, uh, we were in, all right, I'll tell this one. We were in New York a couple years ago and, um, we were at uh, Brooklyn at that hockey rink. What's the name of that place? Barclay Center. Where, you know, Jay-Z and Paul McCartney play just obscure indie acts. And the the, the uh, hockey team in Brooklyn plays. And someone in the back of the orchestra wasn't doing what John wanted. And by the way, this was a very rugged rehearsal period. It was great. Uh, we had no amplification at one point and we, you know, whatever. John is a, a maestro and can count backwards and uh, is as deft uh, uh, um, uh, an uh, artisan of classical music as you'll ever find on earth. And we stopped, which was unusual. And John went, I'm trying to get your attention. I don't <laughs> know what I can do. I've waved at you. I've gestured. I've tried to. And all of us went dead quiet. And it was like someone in the back in the string section of the woodwinds wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. And he didn't raise his voice. If anything, he caused us to all look at the floor. There was hundreds mm -hmm. of people there. There was over a hundred people. He has the gravity. He's so marvelous. Oh, let's do that, and then we'll go. Okay. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, sung live to film with a symphony orchestra under conductee John Marcheri, will be in Glasgow at the um, Hydro Center on the 2nd of December. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas with all that. Danny Elfman, Catherine O'Hare, Ken Page. Yay. Yeah, the whole full complement. We're all going the cohort. Me, uh, Baraka, Randy, uh, Angie. Um, we'll all be there. Uh, that'll be the 4th and 5th at the uh, Wembley Arena. And then the 8th in Dublin. Um, we're so looking forward to that. Then, my good mates, the Comedy Store Players, that's Andy Smart, Neil Malarkey, Lee Simpson, Richard Vaunch, and uh, Jesse Lawrence, uh, will be playing on the 11th of December at the Comedy that's Store. Fun. Yeah, we're going to, and obviously, well, drinks afterward. <laughs> then we'll be in San Francisco for New Year's. Uh, the Punchline, the podcast will be on the 29th. Uh, the stand up will be on the 30th and 31st. And then we'll be back for Sketchfest on the 17th and 18th. Uh, check out Who's Live anyway. They're going on the road with me without me in December with Ryan, but you really don't need to know about that. Uh, Jennifer's got some important information for you. Uh, Walter Mercado was so nice. He was 87. He just passed away. 87? Yeah. Um, really? In an interview with Jorge Ramos, he addressed his sexuality. He was, he was an astrologer. On TV, yes. he had begun in the seventies. I, I read that he was doing a play right. for a friend, and he was wearing a cape, a, cape. Had a, a bunch of rings on, and even a third eye painted on his forehead. I see. And uh, a friend of his at the TV station in Puerto Rico uh, came in and, and and said, "Oh, you've got to can you do uh, can you vamp for fifteen minutes because somebody he had dropped, to fill in dropped." out and he was wearing the cape and he came in and he did his bit and they were so enchanted that right. he never stopped working 
it, it became a de rigueur for Latino families to watch him. He was an astrologer, right? Yes. And, uh, that he, most scientific of his, his, uh, he would end each, uh, missive with mucho, mucho, mucho amor. amor. Yeah. A really flamboyant, uh, oh really, really, really beautiful. Um, what was the quote you were reading about his sexuality? Yeah, he said the people want to know is Walter straight, homosexual, what? metrosexual, bisexual. He's matter. I don't care. Here I am. I am who I am. That's it. Oh yeah. And uh, there was an exhibition uh, in Miami about him in August, and Greg and I were watching a, a clip of it earlier today and he was led in on the throne yeah which he, was a pretty rolling fantastic. throne that yeah. kind of moved on its own yeah. like he Brocade was a superhero and, yeah. and blonde hair um the woman that put the exhibition together said he is uh aida levitin said he is one of those people who used his celebrity and power to reach millions in order to inspire people with good messages oh my god he's and so cool alex Fumero, a Los Angeles-based filmmaker who has spent the last two years working on a documentary about Walter Mercado, said uh, the astrologer was an unlikely icon in the Latino community. This is a culture that's been dominated by machismo and homophobia for a very long time. For someone who's so brazenly played with gender and sexuality and always remains something of a mystery, he was really brave. And a woman, uh, Diana Taylor, an, an NYU professor wrote, he endows the drag queen with papal authority. No question. Isn't that beautiful? He's so awesome to watch. If do yourself a favor and... Walter Mercado. Is swinging so high in the heavens. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And may every market you go to be a Mercado. (laughs) 